Back to our, our Bible in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're going to continue in our study here, and you know, I won't, um, I won't talk a lot by way of introduction. I think we're very familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, and last week I just preached the one verse, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, as we read down through the, or the verses of Hebrews chapter 11, we're introduced or reminded of uh, many biblical characters. We're reminded of courageous and faith-filled acts of the elders or the Old Testament saints here. And these, um, th these illustrations, these reminders, what they do, they simply illustrate the, the concept of faith. And so as I mentioned, the first part of the chapter is what faith is, and, and then the rest of the chapter is devoted to what faith does, or how, how is, is faith uh, lived out. And these are those that lived by faith. You'll see that phrase over and over again in Hebrews 11, by faith. And maybe if you're one that, um, then it, that circles or underlines key words in your Bible. Of course, this uh, key word in Hebrews 11 is faith, but I, I've gone through there in my Bible, and every time I see by faith, by faith, by faith, and you know, this gives the start of a new illustration of someone's life who lived by faith. So this is, this is faith demonstrated. And what I wanted to point out to you is each one of these individuals had the challenges in their life that they faced in their day, but they did so by faith. They, they, they carried out the call of God. They believed the word of God in their day, in their time, in their lives. And the reason we have the, uh, the account of them in Hebrews 11 is because they faced their challenges by faith. So these Old Testament saints, they put their confidence in what they could not see. They, they put their confidence in what they could not see in the present, but what they did is they believed God for the future. And I would say no matter what age or day and age that we live in, that is a concept that we need to be well acquainted with. Not to focus so much on what we can see, but trust the Word of God, what God has said for the future. I talked a lot about that during our Sunday school hour. These Old Testament saints, these elders, they, they took God at His Word. You know, what a need we have of that in our day today, to take God at His Word, to believe the Bible. I've, I've been praying this for our church, and this has just been a, a burden upon my heart for the last couple of years, really, and I've preached to a lot of different series based upon this idea, is that, that we know the Bible. I think this is a church that we have the right doctrine, we have the right Bible, we, we know the truth, but we need to believe it. We need to believe it. And, you know, that's, that's my heart's desire. We can say that we know the truth, we can say that we have the truth, but the question arises, do we believe it? Now, if we believe it, there'll be evidence of that belief, that faith in our life. And what we have here is a demonstration, the evidences of faith that are lived out in the lives of these Old Testament saints. So I would say that this morning, for us, faith is essential for living a godly life. Faith is essential for living a godly life, and, and we must choose to have faith. We, we must choose to, to, to make right application of the faith that we have even during times of temptation. Even when it's hard, even when we are challenged, we must live by faith. And so here in our passage, we're going to discuss, as you can see on your screen there, just three um, in this first section of Hebrews chapter 11. Three of these Old Testament saints will dis, uh, discuss this morning. Let's look back in at uh, verse number 2. I'm sorry, we'll just start for context purposes there in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the, the it there is, is the faith, for by it the elders obtained a good report. They had a, 
They had a good testimony. They were known for their faith. They obtained a good report, not only um, from God, but, but from man. It's an amazing thing to have the account of someone's actions in the Bible. You know, maybe we step back and say, well, that would be, that would be an honorable thing. But I submit this to you. Wouldn't that be kind of a scary thing for all of human history to know how we lived our life? I think of great men in the Bible like David, but you know, the Bible doesn't tell us only of David's faith and of his success and God's working in his life, but also the Bible tells us of David's failures, tells us of David's sin. Here in this passage, the spotlight is shined upon these individuals with the example of a demonstrated faith in their life. Now, these examples were given for a purpose. Now, in the context of Hebrews, here in chapter 11, I want you to be mindful of this, that these uh, professing believers, they had been moved from, or they have left a, a, a religion, a, a service of God that was very visible. The sacrifices that were made were very visible. The, the atonement for sin through the blood offerings were, were very visible. And this was something that had become... Um, you know, really a, a, a place of dependence and trust. This was what was normal in their lives. And all of a sudden, this new revelation came. They were introduced to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they were given more information about the shadows of the Old Testament, the types of the Old Testament, and, and the workings of the elders and God throughout history in the realization of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. They were called to leave something that they could see with their eyes, that they could uh, experience there in a, a very visceral sense to depend upon, to trust something that they could not see. To, to have faith in one, not that was making sacrifice before their eyes there in the, in the tabernacle, but to have their faith and trust in one that has ascended to the heavens, that is seated on the right hand of God, that the Bible said that ever liveth to make it intercession for us. And so here I ask you to keep the context in mind that they are, they are given examples of the Old Testament, but in these examples, what is pointed out, what is highlighted, is a trust in the words of God, a dependence upon what they could not see. Many not realizing the benefits or the outcome of that faith in their lifetime, but trusting God, the God who promised. Now here in the passage, let's look back at verse number three. It says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were formed or framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. This is an interesting statement there in verse 3. He says, through faith we understand. And that's important for us to get this morning. Through faith we understand. People look at the Word of God and they'll say, you know, it just doesn't make rational sense. I don't, I don't understand how someone can believe in something, to trust in something, to depend upon something that they cannot see. And listen, these things, the truths of God, they cannot be understood often by using this um, you know, singular or rational thought or using human intellect. But the things of God, the truths of God must be understood by faith. They must be received by faith. Now, we try to work all of this out in our mind, and we try to figure out every single thing that God has ever done. And I'm going to tell you this morning that we will not, in our finite minds, be able to accomplish that. There will be some things in our life that we will not know why or how or how these things can be, but we can understand these things by faith. And when I say that, that's not just a blind leap. It is a, a trust and a dependence upon the very words of God. By taking God at His word. If God said it was so, then by faith we understand that that is what is right, that is what's true, and we live by that faith. Now, here in verse 3 it says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Listen, God didn't ask us what we think about Him being the creator of all things. You know, our opinion really doesn't matter that much. 
And the Bible starts out that way. In the beginning, God created. You understand that you know, he, he is not in the, the first of our Bible, you know, focusing in or addressing the critics. God just stated the reality. He just stated or made a statement of, of fact. And we understand that by, by faith. The, the worlds, this entire universe, all, all the planets that are there in our solar system, the Bible says that they are framed by the Word of God. It wasn't an amazing thing that our God is able to speak creation into existence. That's an amazing thing. You know, that's a, a, a feat or, you know, that is a work that we cannot rightly in our human understanding grasp. But the Bible says, by faith we understand. Look at verse number four. The Bible says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. So just one verse here is devoted to the, the, the work or the demonstration of faith in Abel's life. His faith is contrasted by his brother uh, Cain's lack of faith. And so I want you to take your Bible with me, and we're going to delve a little bit into this this morning, and go to Genesis chapter 4. And this is where we have the account of, of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And I, I want to, to help you to understand exactly what we're talking about here. And, you know, there's often a lot of questions about this interaction between God and Abel and Cain, and, and why it was that God accepted, why you know, Abel's sacrifice, as the Bible says, was more excellent, more excellent sacrifice than Cain's, and why is it that he has this witness of faithfulness here and acceptance before God? Now, let's look here in Genesis chapter 4, and I'll point out some needed information here for you. There in Genesis 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, When Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And God was very wroth, and uh, excuse me, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, notice what, it, what the Lord says here, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. Now, again, this is pointing to the fact that he was not doing well. He was not doing what was right or what was expected of him and the offering that he made. The Bible says, And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. So he is pointing to the fact that his, his offering was not done in faith, that his offering was done in disobedience in the way that he approached God and by the means in which he approached God. The Bible says there, And sin lieth at the door, and unto these shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with, his bro uh, with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, uh, they went into the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And we see the, 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 the first murder here in the Bible. And, you know, what a, uh, what a traumatic passage that stands out early on in the pages of Scripture. Now, let me address a few things here. Um, it was important for us to understand that though we're given account of events that took place um, there uh, between God and Adam and Eve, and we have just in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, uh, the, the fall, we have the, the first sin, and then we have God's response, God's judgment upon that sin, and God's provision for that sin. And I want to point, point this out to you if you're not familiar with Genesis 3 and 
Uh, look there at verse number 1 of Genesis 3. Give us a little background there. Genesis 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Now again, the serpent here, the, the devil, uh, is, is coming. And I want you to notice the first thing he does when he seeks to tempt man to sin is he questions what God said. He questioned what God said. He says, yea, hath God said. He says, is this, is this what God said? Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So God had made commandment not to eat of this tree. And I believe Eve added a little bit to what God had said here. That was not exactly what God said. But nonetheless, the devil is seeking to tempt them um, by questioning what God says. He is using the lust of their eyes, the lust of their flesh, the pride of life, the same means of temptation that the devil is still using today. And they succumb to this temptation. The Bible says there in verse number 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and, the tree to be uh, and, the, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Notice what it says. This is the result of that. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves apron. Now, once they recognized um, that they had disobeyed God, there was immediate result of that, and God's going to address that further, but um, the immediate realization they had is that they were, they were naked, that they needed to do to hide themselves or to cover themselves. And what they did is they sought to make a covering for themselves, for their sin, with their own hands and their own effort. The Bible says that they made themselves aprons. They, they sewed together these aprons and, and covered themselves. And here in the next verses, for sake of time, we won't read all of them, but God, He comes and He calls them out. He says, where art thou? And He knows where they're at, but He wants them to see where they're at in their sinful state before Him. He calls them out and then He pronounces his judgment upon sin, upon the creation through the next verses. And I want you to jump down with me to, uh, to verse number 20. Uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 21. Let's look there. The Bible says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins to clothe them. Now I'll remind you that they had made some aprons there to cover them, but what they made as a covering for their sin was not sufficient before God. It was a, a work of man, a work of their own hands. It was not accepted by God. And so God, the Bible says in verse 21, made coats of skins to clothe them. Now, when it speaks of skins, it's talking about the skins of animals. And I want you to understand what what had to have taken place here for them to have them those skins these these animals they they shed their blood they were killed so that their skins their their uh, those coats could be made as a covering for sin now let me point this out that what took place here up until this point in adam and eve's life this must have been the most traumatic thing that has ever happened to them. They would not have soon forgotten this. I want to remind you that before this, there was no death upon earth. But before sin, there was no death. And as a result of their sin, there were animals that were killed. Their blood was shed, and there was a coat, a covering made for their sin. I remind you, though the Bible doesn't give us great detail and in, in information here, this principle goes throughout Scripture. Uh, as we recognize the law is given, there is a blood sacrifice that is required to make atonement for sin, to make remission for sin. And on and on that truth goes throughout um, you know, the Old Testament. Into the New Testament, we recognize Christ and the shedding of His blood in payment and re remission for sin. But here, I, I point to this because I want you to know how... Abel and how Cain knew to approach God. 
I, I believe this, this traumatic event took place. Think about it with me like this. Adam, he was given a responsibility before God to keep the garden, to dress it. We know that, that, that Adam is the one that, that God used there that had dominion and the, 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 the animal life and the plant life and all these things were given over to the hand of Adam. But here, something I believe that, that Adam felt precious, something that Adam, I'm sure, enjoyed was, was killed, that the blood was shed that the covering was made. I, I, I say this because I want you to recognize this is not something that Adam and Eve would have soon forgotten. This would have been something that they would have taught, they would have instructed their children. And I believe that, that God gave further instruction and in what He desired and, and, and what He required of man. Though it's not detailed in the Bible, I submit to you that I believe there was a day that that Adam and Eve sat down with their children and told them what God expected, what God required. There was instruction given from what they had learned from what God had done. Again, one of the, the, the most traumatic event, I assume, in their life until this time, they relay this information to their children. They were instructed by their parents. And so when we get into chapter number four, we have this process, the Bible says, and in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruits of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstlings of the flock. Now, they are bringing an offering to the Lord. Now, the, the Bible doesn't tell us how they knew to do this. The, the Bible doesn't give us the detail or the instruction of, of, of why it is that they are performing this up until this time. But, again, as I mentioned, uh, we, we, we can surmise, and I submit this to you, that his their parents gave them instruction of what God had said, how God had directed and what God required of them. And it is understanding that when their offering is brought, the Lord has a specific response to each one. He responds to one, the offering of Abel, favorably because it was in line with what God had instructed, the information that God had given, what they knew to be right and pleasing in God's eyes. And then he had no respect to Cain's offering because it was not what the Lord required, what they had been instructed by the words of God. And so we have this passage in verse 4. The Bible says, In Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock, and of the fat thereof, Again, this speaks of a sacrifice that is made. The, the firstlings of the flock. You say, well, pastor, how do we know that this is what was required of the Lord? This was what was instructed of God. Now, we're not given that detail. You know, as we get over into, into the law, we get into the book of Numbers, we'll see this pattern uh, again. We'll see the, the precedent that was set here and the pattern that goes forward. And in the book of Numbers, in chapter 17, we see the same thing. The firstlings of the flock were made as, as, as offering there. Again, the Lord did not require the, the least of the flock or the, the, the spot or the blemish, but the, the firstlings of the flock. What, what was best to be offered before God. Now, I, I want you to keep this in mind because there is a reason why God did not accept or have respect to Cain's offering, and he had respect. He accepted the offering of Abel because his offering was done, as we learn in chapter 11, in verse number 4, by faith. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. R write a, a reference down in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 10 in verse number 17, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17. Many of you have that verse memorized in, um, I'm sorry, Romans 10. I say Hebrews, Romans 10, I'm sorry, in, chapter, in verse number 17. Romans 10, 17. And I'll ask you to, to, to mark this down in, in your Bible there. The Bible speaks there of faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the words of God. Now, for us, I, I know that, you know, a lot of times we, we question, well, how do we know what, what the Lord requires? How do we know is to be accepted by God? Well, the Bible says that faith, we're to live by faith, we're to walk in faith. The Bible says, so faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How, how did Abel 
understand what was required of God? How is it that he, by faith, offered unto God? Listen, he heard the instruction of God, the word of God, and he acted upon that instruction. He acted in faith in what God said and what God required, and his offering was more excellent, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You know, for us, I think this morning we often, we, we wonder and we, well, we question, you know, what it is we are to do to, to please God. You know, God has given us the word of God so that we might know how to walk in faith how to, to please the Lord. Let me read you another reference. Uh, this reference is in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. And this speaks of Cain. 1 John 3, 12, it says, I'll read verse 11 to get more of the context there. 1 John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that ye uh, heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Or, in essence, why did he kill his brother? The Bible says, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. His works were evil, and his brother's works were, were righteous. Listen, the Bible says that he was of the wicked one. He was walking the ways of, of the devil. His works were evil, but his brothers were, were, were righteous. His brother was walking, was living in response to the words of God by faith. But Abel, or excuse me, Cain was walking contrary to the words of God in wickedness. Now, I submit this to you this morning that, that Cain, he, he started the world's false religion. He started false religion, a, a religion of salvation by works, if you will. His idea was that God will accept me, that God will be pleased with me by the works of my hands, by the things that I do for God. And in our human mind, we might think, well, that makes sense because wouldn't it be accepted of God that, that, that you know, Cain brought anything to God? Now, you know, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He was a shepherd. And, and, and Cain, he was a tiller of the ground. He was a gardener. And wouldn't it just make sense that, that he took of his own effort and he took of his own work? And we could even say, well, maybe this was the best that he had, the best he could do. And he brought it before God as an offering. He, he offered these vegetables, if you will, as, as an offering before God in an effort to appease God or to please God. Say, well, why didn't God accept this? Because that's not what God required. That's not the instruction, though we're not given the details. That's not the instruction that God had given them. Remember, Abel walked by faith. His, his works, his deeds there were, were righteous. Or they were right in God's eyes because they were in response to God's word. But Cain, his offering was rejected because it done in wickedness. It was done without faith, without that proper understanding of what God required. And unto this day, people seek to take their own works, the best that they can do, their hard work, their sweat, their effort, and seek to please God, to appease God, to approach God. But yet, unless we approach God in the prescribed manner, we will not be accepted of God. Now, I want you to give thought to this and understand that there is only one means by which we can obtain access to God, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that Christ has made for our sin. The Bible says that there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He is our only means of access to God. He's our only means by which we may please God as we come in faith and we come to Him in a, a broken heart of humility in the way that He has instructed us through Jesus Christ. He is our means of salvation. He is the one who has provided the atoning work that we might be saved. And if we try to do it any other way, it will be rejected of God. It will be looked upon as wicked works. And so, listen, we, we, we must understand the reason that his, 
his offering, Abel's offering was more excellent than Cain's is because it was done in faith. It was done in response to the words of God. He acted in faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I want you to, to think about this with me this morning. This is faith in worship. Faith in worship. I, th I think the first example, we have three here, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. The first one presents to us faith in one's worship of God. Now, I know that in this world, though there are a lot of people that are gathered together worshiping God. And, you know, worship is a very loosely used term in our day. But the Bible teaches us that God... He doesn't receive all worship. That some worship is done in vain. That, that some worship is done outside of the means in which God requires, outside the parameters in which God has, has set. The Bible says we're to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We're to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Our worship is not to be solely a worked up experience of our flesh. And that is what worship in so many people's churches and so many people's lives has become, a worked-up experience in the flesh. And not a, a, a coming to God in the prescribed manner in a sense of reverence and fear of God and taking God at His word and believing the instructions, the will, and, and the directives that God has given us, but... People have this understanding or this thought that in this world, in the day and age which we live in, that people can approach God in any way with, with their own desire, their own means of worship, doing that, what they see fit as a way to worship God and that God will receive it. And I want you to understand this, that, that uh, some worship is done in vain because it's not a worship of the true God. Some worship is rejected because it's not a person approaching God in the means in which God desires. Now here we have this example of Abel, and, and I know we've already, we've already struck a negative vein in this first example, and it kind of sets us back because, listen, we want our worship to be received of God. I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, there are people around this world that, uh, you know, they speak about the Lord, they, they talk about God. They, they try to live a certain way. They, they live in a moral way, and, and they try to be a good neighbor, and they try to love one another, and they, they approach God in, in this manner. But I would remind you, that's, that's not how we gain God's acceptance. Salvation, as we looked at last week, is by grace through faith. It's by grace through faith. We don't we don't approach God in our own means. Listen, the fact that we can even approach God, that we even have you know, the ability to come before God is a, is a means by which we obtain through His grace. Through His grace. Because we are, are sinful before God. And as God has worked in our heart, as God has revealed His truth to us by His grace, we come to God and we trust God the God of the Bible, who He has revealed Himself to be. We can't, cannot make up a God of our own imagination who receives any worship, who accepts us the way we are, who accepts the things that we do for Him as if He has commanded them. Listen, God has told us how to worship Him. God has told us what is pleasing to Him. And that worship will not be received unless it's done by faith as a response to the Word of God. As a response to God's instruction. So Abel here, the Bible says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by the which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. You know what kind of sets us back in this illustration of faith is that what befell Abel after his act of faith. Now, we would recognize that Abel was doing right. Abel was doing what God said. Abel was doing what he had been instructed to do by God in bringing a sacrifice to God in the prescribed way, in a heart of faith. And what happened to him? 
What, the, what was the result of his, of his life? Listen, he was killed by his brother. His, his, life, his life was, was taken. You know, maybe that, that sets us back. Maybe that, that just, it shocks us. Well, why would God allow that to happen to Abel after Abel was serving God in, in such a way? You know, I, I point this out to you. I kind of revert back to the passage that I read earlier in, in 1 John 3. There, that passage is an exhortation to love one another. And there, as I read, it says, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. And then the next verse says this, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. If the world hate you. Marvel not if the world hate you. Now the reason I say this is the first example of false religion is because when Cain was corrected in his false worship, in his wrong sacrifice before God, he didn't get right with God. He just kept on in his wickedness, in his thinking. And instead of getting right, you know what he did? He persecuted the one that was right with God. He persecuted the one that was living in the truth. Listen, that same thing is going to go on today. We, we can stand in the truth of the Word of God and live by faith in what God has said and what God has promised. And those in this world that seek to be or claim to be religious, that claim to be the servants of God, will, will in, in, in essence, persecute will judge, will seek to hinder those that are living in the truth. That, oh, those that are doing right. Now this same thing is going on today. And, and I challenge you with this. Just because we're serving God doesn't mean we'll not face challenges in our life. Challenges even from those we would never thought they would come from. Even those who claim to be followers of God. Even those that claim to love God and serve God and worship God. So we, we've got to be careful to keep our focus, our attention, not upon others, but upon our God. God, God has promised us many precious promises. But you know, one of those promises is not that He would give us a safe and healthy life in this body. He says, marvel not if the world hate you. In other places, think it a strange thing that these tribulations and trials befall you. We are going to face trouble and trial and tribulation. We're going to face persecution and struggle even in doing right. But, but what should we do? That's the example set in Hebrews 11. To those original readers, what, what should you do when you're challenged, when, when you are, are persecuted by those that claim to be the servants of God, those that claim to be religious? What do you do? You follow Abel's example of faith and worship through the difficulty of faith and trial. Now, I've been uh, mulling this last phrase over in verse 4 for a good while now where the Bible says, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. The Bible says there that, that uh, he obtained witness that he was righteous, that, that witness come from God in the receiving of his offering. And the Bible says God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. You know, this, I guess, has the, the general application of that. Even though Abel is dead, his walk of faith is still used as an example today. We're still talking about it. He, he's speaking from the grave what, what faithfulness to God looks like, what living by faith looks like. But I think there's maybe a, a, another application in a little bit more finer detail to the context of the passage. And, you know, this example that, that is set forth in the life of Abel and the result of, his wick, of the wickedness of his brother in taking his life. Listen, this is a testimony that stood out to them in the day that they were in. Because they were being persecuted by their brethren. They were being persecuted by those who, again, claimed to be religious and serving God. They were being persecuted because they have turned from uh, the, the old covenant and they put their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ for salvation. And this, this testimony, listen, it, it speaks to this end, that 
if, if Abel was able to serve God in faithfulness, to please God in his life, and to obtain this witness from God, that very same testimony can be obtained by you. Though he were dead, yet speaketh. Now this, this persecution that they faced, it, it may have resulted in the being ostracized from family. It may have resulted in, in the, the loss of, of personal finances. It may have resulted in the loss of life in their persecution. Here the example is set for them. As these believers obtained good report from God and before men, that these examples were sufficient to be followed in their day. Listen, they're sufficient to be followed in our day. Now here, we're going to move on. I'll, I'll move to the next one a little bit quicker. Um, in chapter 11 and verse number 5, the Bible says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. And before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now go back over there to Genesis in chapter 5. And this uh, account of Enoch falls right in line after we have this account in Genesis 4 of Cain and Abel. We have this example of, of Enoch that is set forth in chapter number 5. And there is not a, a, uh, a great description here either of, uh, of Enoch's life and Enoch's walk. But I, I want to point out some some uh, uh, key phrases here, if you will, or key words in chapter 5. And um, here is, is given the genealogy of Adam. We see that in verse 1. This is the book of the generation of Adam in the day that God created man, the likeness of God made he him. And we're, we're given the line there, if you will, of Adam. And I want you to notice, look at verse number 5. The Bible says, In the days of Adam, um, that Adam lived were 930 years. Notice this phrase, and he died. And then you look at verse number 7 at the end of the verse. Here again is speaking of Seth and Enos there. And at the end of verse number 7, we see the phrase again, and he died. In verse number 10, at the end of the verse, and he died. Verse number 12, we see at the end of the verse, and he died. Verse 17, and he died. Verse 19, and he died. You see, the, the, the droning call of, of the death of each one of these men rings out. And then we get to verse number 23. The Bible says, And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You know, there's something missing there. The Bible does not say that, that Enoch died, but as we read in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. And so we have here this man, this, this first man in this line after the fall that did not taste physical death, but he was translated. The Bible is speaking of here that God took him into glory without him facing death. You know, maybe if you're like me, when I first read that, I was, you know, wow, that, this is amazing that someone who, who, who was taken out of this world without dying. And that's, that's an amazing thing to me. I want you to notice something about, about his life. Now, Enoch lived in a time of great wickedness in the world. Now, as we read on in, in the rest of uh, these next chapters, we'll see as we get to chapter 6, we'll look at it in a few moments, that there was great wickedness in the world. But this man, Enoch, he had a bit of a different testimony. Though we recognize the, the line of, of Lamech and on, uh, lived in wickedness. Here is a man, here is a man, Enoch, that the Bible says he walked with God. He walked with God. He was living by faith, walking in fellowship with God. I like what the Bible says, and he was not for God. God took him. Now, in our verse there in Hebrews 11, we have a little bit, little bit more information. I, I like the wording here. It says, and he was not found. The Bible says he was translated that he should not see death, and he was not found. You know, there was a, a lot of people in that day that were living in wickedness, contrary to the way that Enoch was living. But you know, when God took him 
when he was translated into glory without seeing death, there were, there were people that were wondering, I'm sure, where he went. You ever thought about that? The Bible just says he was not, he, he was, uh, was not in, in Genesis 5 and verse 24, but in Hebrews 11 it says he was not found. He was not found. I, I imagine in my mind this way that, and this is often how people are in this world, uh, they don't need people that walk with God or anyone that has fellowship with God until until they need them. They, they don't think of them. They're not concerned about them. They don't think about their impact or their importance until they need them, until they're gone. I was thinking about this, that there must have been a group of people there. There must have been those that lived around and among uh, Enoch and his life and his walk of faith and his testimony before God, and all of a sudden he is gone, and they couldn't find him. He was not, he was not found. You know, this speaks to my heart that, you know, this man Enoch, he must have had, he must have had an impact upon people's lives. He, he, must, have, he must have left a, a mark upon the lives of those that, that encountered him. And, you know, that, that mark I often think about, though the, the world may not agree with us, even maybe some professing believers may not agree with us, may not walk with God, Listen, we should keep on living by faith and walking with God. No matter what's going on around us, this is an example that even though the environment is contrary to the will of God, it's contrary to the ways of God, it's a wicked world that we live in, we can still live in a way that's pleasing to God. We can still have a testimony in this world that is pleasing to God. Enoch stands as an example of an ungodly culture and world, but yet a godly testimony. Listen, I want that to be my example. I realize the world we live in right now is wicked. And they may not appreciate us in this world, but yet we can live by faith and please God. I, I point this out, won't spend much time on it. You know, Enoch is, is a type, is a picture of the rapture of the church, of the, the catching away of the church in the rapture. And you say, well, well, why is that? And... Again, I won't spend much time on it, but recognize that here is a man who is living in a, in a wicked, ungodly world, and, and God takes them, translates him from earth to glory without experiencing death. I submit to you that's what's going to happen one day when the Lord calls home his church. The return of, of the Lord, the rapture of the church, it is, it is imminent. One day we're going to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. You know, I wonder what will happen when we leave. People are going to say, where all, where all the Christians go? Listen, we won't be found. We, we won't be anywhere to be found. We'll be gone. We'll be translated. We'll be in glory. It's interesting to me how this connects with the next passage in chapter 5. Listen, Enoch is translated, and what happens next? There is great judgment from God upon the world. And I, I, again, I won't delve too much into the typology, but it's amazing to me how, you know, in that judgment, there is a, a remnant of people that is preserved of God that goes through the judgment and comes out on the other side. Again, another picture and, and, and type. But I, I challenge you this morning, when you look at the world you live in, the, the example that you set before the, before the world, listen, do, do we... Uh, do we just decide, well, I can't, I can't live a godly life because of the culture I live in, because it's so difficult and, and the challenges are so great. Look back at our passage there in verse number 6. The Bible says this, and this is, again, a response to Enoch's faith. The Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder, of them that diligently seek him. Now in this verse, there is an impossibility that is, is presented. It is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You say, well, why was, was Cain's offering not received by God? Because it was not done by faith. It was, it was not offered in faith in response to the word of God. Why, why is, is is uh, Enoch's life, as it says at the end of verse 5, that he pleased God because he walked in faith. His life was a life of faithful service to God. The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we have an impossibility that's presented there. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Another, maybe a cross-reference in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, the Bible says there, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And we see that in great connection to Cain's offering, Romans 14, 23. But there's also an imperative that's given us uh, given to us there in verse number 6. There's the impossibility, and then there's the their imperative there. It says, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And when we come to God, we must believe in the person, the existence of the true and living God. We, we come to him by faith, and the Bible says we come to him believing that he is a rewarder to them, of them that diligently seek him. You know, I think about Cain, and I think about Abel, and they both approach God in different ways. And in faith, Abel approaches God, and he offers the God an excellent sacrifice as God has commanded, and he has, again, recognized this commendation of Abel's life is given. But yet, also, we have this understanding that, that he believed that, that God was good. That God was worthy of the offering, of the sacrifice. And I, I submit this to you. We don't know how the world's going to respond to us in our service to God. It, it may be that, that God allows us to face great difficulty in this life. And, and even as we look through the lives of many in the Bible, He allowed to face great difficulty, even the loss of their life in faith to God, in service to God. It, it may that He allow us to go through great difficulty, or, again, some may have the experience of, of Enoch, God's blessings without the trials that other believers faced, without the outcome that other believers faced. And the reason I say this is because I want you to recognize that some of us will go through different situations and circumstances that others will not. That does not mean that God's not good. That does not mean that God does not love us, that God is not righteous. That does not mean that God is not just. But the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to Him must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You may not receive that reward in this life. Some may go through this life and you say, well, why can't my life be like their life? Why don't they put up with what I put up with? Why am I suffering and they are just skating through life on their way to heaven? Listen, don't forget that our God is just and righteous and good. The Bible says that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Listen, do you believe that this morning? I'm telling you that you may not see that, receive that reward here and now. It may not be realized in this life, but... God keeps His promises. God will fulfill what He has said. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I'm going to hurry through the last one. In verse number 7, the Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, preparing an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, there are some interesting things about, about Noah. We know that before the time of Noah and the, the great flood, this worldwide flood, um, I believe that the world had not seen rain before that event. And, you know, this is, I guess, a, a subject that's debated among some. But when God told Noah, build thee an ark, and he started to give the instructions on how to build it, of gopher wood and pitch it with pitch and, and all the, the measurements and all this. He told him to build an ark, but, you know, my question that I'm sure arrives in, in Noah's, you know, Noah's mind, well, well, why? And God said, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain. I'm going to flood the earth with, with, with water. And he said, well, well what is rain? I've, I've never seen this before. I don't understand this. God, are, do you... You know what you're talking about, God. I'm just trying to put ourselves in this, 
in this picture this morning, there, there must have been some questioning, some confusing, some misunderstanding within Noah's heart. You know, the Bible says that he was moved with fear. You know, this is that fear of God that I was talking about. I, I fear that moves us to action in obedience to God, in obedience to the Word of God. He, by faith, believed what God had said and the Bible says here that, that he did, he built that ark. The Bible says preparing an ark to, to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Write this reference down in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. The Bible says that, that Noah was a, a preacher of righteousness. Isn't that interesting? What will, you'll learn if you read the account there uh, that the time span that went by was about 120 years of building that ark. And, um, and Noah was already well in age, much older than people live today. Uh, I think, don't quote me on that, I think uh, 380 something years old there uh, when the, the preparation of the building of the ark began. And the building of the ark, 120 years. But the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. Imagine when he is building that ark, as people see this massive structure being put together, they are thinking, what is this crazy man doing? But you know what he did? He kept building and he kept preaching. The judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. The Bible speaks of a time on earth where the minds of people were only evil continually. But, but Noah found grace in God's eyes. Noah had a, a heart of faith. He had a desire to live in a walk of faith before God, and he was moved by fear. He was moved with a, a, a reverential awe of God and was obedient to the command of God to the saving of his house. Now here this morning, Abel, he demonstrates faith in one's worship. Enoch demonstrates faith in one's walk. And I believe Noah demonstrates faith in one's witness, in one's witness. He had this, this testimony. Though the world was against him, though the world, I'm sure, criticized him and laughed at him and mocked him, he labored in fearful service of the Lord as a preacher of righteousness. And the Bible says, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now these stood as... Old Testament examples of those that walk by faith before great opposition, before great difficulty. And here, here is the application of the passage this morning. For the hearers, the, the, the application for the hearers in that day was that faith is essential to godly living. Faith is essential to godly living. Listen, they were being persecuted, they were being challenged, there was a strong pull to go back to the old way of life, but they must live by faith. They must step out by faith and trust what God has said. Trust the revelation that came through Jesus Christ. And this morning we must choose to live by faith. We must choose to live by faith when the adversity is great. When the testing is strong, when the temptations in our life are greater than they've ever been before. I don't know if we've, you know, at least in my lifetime, I don't know if there's been more excuses I've heard from people to stay out of church and to backslide in their walk with the Lord. I've heard more excuses in the last two years than I've heard in my whole lifetime. I can guarantee you, if you're trying to find an excuse why you can't serve God, there'll be an excuse available for you to grab onto. But my question is, are we choosing to live by faith? Are we choosing to trust God that He is good, that He is righteous, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him? Or are we just going to succumb to the challenges of our day? Are we just going to roll over and allow the culture to carry us off into wickedness, into backsliddenness and, and, and evil living. I'm asking you to stand with me this morning, and we're going to bow our heads, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we cannot do this on our own. Lord, we know that you have dealt to every man the measure of faith. As we presented last week, faith is a common denominator in life. 
We know how to exercise faith. We know how to put faith into action in our everyday life. But Lord, in the context of our service of you, in the context of our response to what you have said, what you have promised, the instructions that you have given, Lord, I pray that by faith we could step out and believe your word. Lord, we could face the opposition, the challenges. We, we could face the fears of our heart, the struggles in our emotions, the, Lord, the, uh, the, the devices of this world and this culture. Lord, in all the opposition, all the, the effort of the devil to cause us to go astray, Lord, I, I pray that we could decide this morning to walk by faith, to follow the example of these faithful saints of the Old Testament. Lord, I, I pray that you would open the eyes of these that hear my voice today, Lord, that we would recognize that if, if Abel could live by faith, that if Enoch could walk by faith, that if, if Noah could live his life in response to your commands by faith, Lord, we can do that today in our world. Lord, they face challenges. Lord, we face challenges. But, Father, we have a great and mighty God who keeps promises, who will be faithful in the trial to meet every need in a sufficient way. Father, help us today. Lord, that we could step up by faith and trust you. Lord, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to take our hymnals this morning, and we're going to turn to page 124. Just